The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Friday edition of PFTPM. Miles Simmons, Mike Florio taking you into an Easter weekend and as always no matter what day of the week it is even when you think it's slow there's plenty happening in the national football league as we stand 27 days away from the 2021 draft good afternoon miles how are you today and i say that with a moderate amount of actual authenticity hi I'll take the moderate amount of actual authenticity. I'm great, Mike. We're another Friday closer to death, and I get to spend it with you for the next hour. And and I may not live through the next week because on Wednesday, and I don't want to go into the TMI route, but but oh it's important because, well, bear with me here. You're, you're too young to have these concerns. But, and I don't really intend the pun, but there is one there. On Wednesday, I'm having a colonoscopy and and an endoscopy. So, folks, if you're 50 or over and you haven't had a colonoscopy, get a colonoscopy. It can catch colon cancer before it becomes colon cancer. Those polyps they find, a certain number of them, do become malignant. And if you don't get it done, you end up unnecessarily fighting what is a horrible and painful and awful form of cancer that is not just treatable, it is avoidable if you get the colonoscopy done. And it's easy. You don't even realize what's happening. It's like, hey, when's this going to start? And then it's over. And so I highly recommend it. And it's something we should talk about. And Miles, you're about 20 years away from having to worry about that. But still, it's something that everyone needs to do. I agree with you, and I'm very glad that you put it like that. Look, it's a it's a great PSA because people's health is something that we all should be concerned about. And so, yeah, the, the process of getting to the colonoscopy, as I understand it, is probably not that fun. Um, however, it is totally, totally worth it. So I, I really I thought you were going to start talking about your 5G that you got in your arm the other day. That's what I thought that that was going. How was oh, that no, doing, well, no, way? I am. I have been fully co-opted by Bill Gates, and at any point I will be spewing whatever propaganda he wants me to because, yes, I've got the second Pfizer shot to go along with the first one. So I am fully robotic. The nanobots are in the process of invading my bloodstream and my brain and my eyes and my mouth. So before too long, maybe by Monday— I'll be fully indoctrinated in whatever it is that Bill Gates is having the army of the undead that he is gradually compiling ready to do on his behalf. Anyway, let's get to what's going on in the National Football League today. We had press conferences from Bears GM Ryan Pace and Bears head coach Matt Nagy. First headline coming from those two press conferences, Matt Nagy is reclaiming something he gave up during the 2020 season, the play-calling abilities for the offense. He'll be taking that back in 2021. Here he is explaining it. As far as calling plays, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the one calling the plays this year. Um, and and so I know you'll, you'll probably be asking that uh, so we can 
And I'll just let you know that from the front end, but that's, that's an exciting thing for, for, um, for, for me to get back to knowing um, where we're at. And, you know, it's, it's uh, the, the fun part right now is building what we want to do better, getting that right with coaches and players that are going to be with us. What led you to the decision that you're going to take over back as the play caller? And, and I, what, how did the scheme evaluation lead to this kind of point? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's uh, for, for me again, without getting into too much of last year, there's a lot of things that go into that. And, um, you know, when we look through the scheme eval and where we're at, uh, it, it was it was for me um, just something that uh, I feel good about. And, and you know, it's uh, I'm not real. That, that's like a, a minor deal for us right now. We're just going through all this stuff, this film and seeing where we're at. We got bigger things to worry about than that. So it's just uh, uh, that's where we're at right now. Bears have made it to the playoffs in two of three seasons under Nagy as the head coach, but the offense was lost last year, and as the season progressed, they started great, then they hit a rough patch. During that rough patch, middle of November is when Nagy handed the offensive play-calling duties to coordinator Bill Lazor, and they, they ended up in the playoffs. Yeah, they were 8-8, eight and eight, and yeah, it was the seventh seed, but still, they got to the playoffs. And so I was a little surprised that Nagy has taken it back again, but maybe he thinks with a different quarterback... It'll be better. And, and when he makes that blanket statement of, I'll call the plays all year, he probably would have said the same thing last year at this time. Everything's subject to change once the, the games start to be played and the losses start to mount. So it's hardly a 17-game commitment. It all depends upon how the Bears do. No doubt. And the interesting thing about it is that when you sign somebody like Andy Dalton and you immediately anoint him the starter, Andy Dalton has a lot of history with Bill Lazor uh, from their shared time in Cincinnati. He was first the quarterback's coach there, and then he was the offensive coordinator there. So I find it a little bit interesting when Matt Nagy is saying, all right, we're going to get this guy. We're going to make him our starter. And then both he and Ryan Pace talked about the fit that they believe that Andy Dalton is for that offense. And then Matt Nagy says, you know what? I'm taking the play calling back. That's going to be my job. I want to be me. And I guess that that's, you know, it's part of why they hired him in the first place was to be able to call the plays. And he did a decent job of it the first couple of years. I mean, at least in that first year when they did go to the playoffs. So I understand what he's doing. I think from the standpoint of, you know, they are supposed to be good this year, basically, or else, you know, and that's kind of been uh, the messaging that I feel like we've heard from the Chicago brass is that they need to be able to at least be competitive this year. So Neg is going to go down. I think he wants to go down with the ship and I think he wants to do it his own way. I understand it from that perspective, but when you improve the offense by going to a different play caller, when you then take that back, it's kind of a little bit curious, Mike. Andy Dalton's in because Mitchell Trubisky is out. Nagy also addressed the fact that after four years together, the second overall pick in the 2017 draft has moved on. Here's Nagy on Trubisky. It's hard to go through these processes. I care so much about them, and, and it, it didn't work out here. And that's, that's you know, I feel like for myself, I want to start with me just knowing like, hey, that's, a, that's something that when, when I came here to Chicago – uh, you, you're, you're dealing with a, a young quarterback um, that obviously um, we all did a lot of work on with, with that class. I, I know we did in Kansas City as well. And um, you, you come here and, you know, different things happen. But the kid worked so hard. Um, he, he won a lot of football games for us. Uh, and when I say I'm indebted to him, I mean, we, there's so many different conversations and, 
good conversations that we had and things we worked through throughout those, those three years. And for different reasons, it didn't work out. But I certainly appreciate the way that he handled everything. This wasn't a situation of the Bears choosing not to keep Mitchell Trubisky as the starter. This was also a situation of the Bears not even wanting him around as the backup. He ultimately signed a one-year deal with the Bills with a base value of $2.5 million. If the Bears had wanted to keep him as number two to Andy Dalton, they could have been able to do it, I would assume, for three, three and a half, four million million, $4 million. Not huge money when you're talking about backup quarterbacks, and they paid him nearly 30 over four years. So, look... Publicly, coaches, executives, owners, even players, they have to say a certain thing in order to not create unnecessary problems. It may take a few belts of scotch and or a shot or two of sodium pentothal or Bill Gates nanorobots to get the truth out of Ryan Nagy and or or Matt Nagy, excuse me, and or Ryan Pace and or Mitchell Trubisky blended the two together. But if if it if it was good in any way, shape, or form, Miles, it would still be a relationship that was moving forward somehow. Oh, no doubt about it. And I think it's really interesting when you look at now the top quarterbacks of both the 2016 and the 2017 draft. And I'm sort of cutting that off, I guess, you know, within the top three uh, picks. None of them are with their same teams anymore, right? Jared Goff, gone. Uh, Carson Wentz, gone, obviously. And Mitchell Trubisky, he's also gone. Now, the one thing that at least the Bears didn't do was keep him under that fifth-year option and then sign him to another contract because clearly it wasn't working there for them. So they at least did that part right. And I think that you're right, Mike, and also just the fact that you're not going to come out and say everything you actually think about Mitchell Trubisky in this press conference setting. And probably they shouldn't because that would mean if any other player would know Uh, That If I'm going to go to the Bears, then if I actually don't play to the level that I think I'm capable of or they think I should be capable of, then they're going to trash me on the way out publicly as well as maybe privately, which who knows they could have been doing about Mitchell Trubisky anyway. So I think that there obviously was an issue there that they just feel like it's better for both parties if they just move on. But if you're the Bears... I don't see why you probably would have brought Mitchell Trubisky back to maybe back up Andy Dalton. And then also you have Nick Foles on the roster. It just, it seems like too much of a mess. And frankly, I think everybody is better off with Mitchell Trubisky elsewhere. Well said, no reason to tear down Mitchell Trubisky. Every reason to build up Andy Dalton. Here's general manager, Ryan Pace, not Ryan Nagy, talking about the new starting quarterback, at least until they draft somebody with the 20th overall pick in Chicago, Andy Dalton. You know, with Dalton, the things we like as you look at it, obviously his experience, he's a nine-year starter. Uh, He's been to three Pro Bowls. A lot of leadership uh, with Andy Dalton. Uh, Decision-making, we like his decision-making. He's won a lot of games in this league. Uh, Andy's been a durable player, too. I think that's something that's understated. And I think really Andy fits our style of offense. You know, when you go through it with our scouts and coaches, you know, he can handle the drop back game. He can handle the RPOs, the play actions, the movements. And we just felt, you know, as we went through those free agent quarterbacks, uh, he's one of the more complete quarterbacks that we evaluated this year in free agency. And uh, we're excited to have him. Yeah, look, they have to say that he is their starter for now. But we have seen guys get signed in free agency and then be supplanted by a first round pick. I don't know that the bears 
are in position to get themselves one of the top options in this year's draft because it looks like there's going to be a run in the top 10. So they have a bird in the hand. They can try to make it work with Andy Dalton. And then next year, they could look into signing somebody else. But the reality is this. If Andy Dalton does well enough to keep everyone employed, they're probably going to keep him around next year. So the Bears continue to be in that category two, as I call it, Miles. Three types of teams. One, teams that have clear-cut franchise quarterbacks. Two, teams that are desperately looking for a franchise quarterback. And three, a team that has a quarterback that they're waiting to find out whether he is or isn't. The Bears are one of the teams, like Washington, and there are others who don't have a franchise quarterback but are trying to make do with what they have. I'm glad you brought up Washington because Washington is the other team that I was thinking of in this situation where they needed a quarterback. They probably tried to get after Matthew Stafford. Now, I don't think the Bears probably were as in on that um, because the Lions are in their same division. But, you know, this is one of those situations where Ryan Pace is talking about, we evaluated the free agent quarterbacks, and he was one of the most complete free agent quarterbacks that was out there. Yeah, who else was there? Cam Newton, I don't think, even made it to free agency. So, like, it's not like you could really evaluate him. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick would be pretty much the only other guy that I think people are really thinking about. Alex Smith is also out there. When you're talking about free agent quarterbacks, it's not like we're really, you know, going up and down a list of all pros here. So, I mean, yeah, it sounds kind of nice, but like when you really kind of parse through what he's saying, it's not really saying very much. Yeah, and uh, the reality is there are enough quarterbacks to go around now. A few years ago, there weren't, but there clearly aren't enough franchise quarterbacks to go around. So the Bears have to do what they have to do, and they try to make the most of it, and they try to win with defense, and they try to win with a running game, and they try to win with things other than a quarterback who is going to account for victories by himself. But all that said, Andy Dalton still took the Bengals to the playoffs five straight years to start his career, which is no small feat considering the history of ineptitude in Cincinnati. All right, uh, let's pivot now to a team that does not have a recent history of ineptitude because they have a true franchise quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes, in a recent interview with Yahoo Finance, addressed the expansion of the regular season, something that was years in the making, but there are players out there who seem surprised by the fact that there will now be 17 games played. Here is Mahomes on the 17-game season. I mean, obviously, um, it, it, it'll be a, it'll be different. It'll be something that we'll have to adjust to. Um, but it, it's something that that we we had talked about in the collective bargaining agreement. Um, whatever your beliefs are or not, you have to go out there and adjust um, and, and do whatever you can to be the best football player you can be every single day. And that's gonna, this year, it'll be kind of figure out ways to take care of your body more and more so you can adjust your body for a 17 game regular season. It definitely puts more on your body. I mean, every single game. Uh, of your entire career, you're battling through something. Uh, and I think you, you you see that in every single body at the end of the season. You're always nicked up a little bit. You always have some injuries and some bruises. Um, and so you, I think the biggest thing is going to be a learning experience this next year. I mean, we got to go in uh, with the mindset of just continuing to make ourselves better. Um, and uh, knowing that 17 games is how many we're playing. And then you're going to have the postseason after that. And so uh, I think it'll be brand new to everybody. Um, but everybody's going to have to adjust and try to do whatever they can to prepare their body to, to be ready for it. That's a reality, too, Miles. When you factor in the postseason, there used to be two buys per conference. Now there's only one. You're going to have more and more teams that are playing 21 
total games. 19 is never going to happen. 19 used to be the maximum. If you got the bye and you made it to the Super Bowl, it would be 20 if you didn't get a bye. Now it's going to be 21, and with only that one bye per conference, and I don't think that one bye per conference is going to last very long. I think it's just a matter of time before we have 16 playoff teams. Now they may have to expand the league before they could justify half of the field making it, but 21 is now the magic number. And it's just a matter of time before 21 becomes 22 because 17 is eventually going to become 18. So whatever these players do now to learn what it takes to add a game to the workload they already have, get ready to double that because seven years, maybe eight years, some point before the end of the decade, the NFL is going to make a big push to get to 18 and they would have done 18 now if they could, but they need to do it slowly and slowly means 17, at least for the time being. Yeah, I, I really think it's going to be interesting to see how exactly this affects guys in times like now or in April, May, you know, June, when sensibly, you know, the offseason program is supposed to happen and we don't know quite know what form that's going to take for this year at this point. But, you know, is it going to mean that, all right, guys are going to take fewer throws. I mean, if you're Tom Brady, you already don't really need to do very much in the offseason program anyway. I mean, I think Bruce Arian said he can just stand on the side and coach the bleep out of, you know, the players, right? But if you're a younger guy, like, uh, I don't know, somebody, a rookie quarterback that's going to be coming in there, so you're Trevor Lawrence, right? You're going to need to probably make some throws just to start getting really comfortable in the offense um, from Daryl Bevel, the offensive coordinator down there. You want us to start getting more comfortable in the operation with the center, right? You want to get comfortable with your receiver. So I think it's just going to be interesting to see how they're going to do this from an older player standpoint, a younger player standpoint. What does it mean for quarterbacks? And then uh, you're talking offensive linemen, defensive linemen, all these guys that get beat up on every single play. What are they going to have to do to take care of their bodies um, from a, a an offseason standpoint so that when you get to week 16 and you're like, oh man, there are, there are still more weeks here that we have to do things before even we get to the postseason. It's going to be really interesting to see how guys figure that out. Yeah, and they're going to have to figure it out. And here's the reality, Miles. When the NFL embraced Thursday night football and players didn't like it, and I remember when we would interview players, I was just curious. Half of them hated it. Half, half of them liked it and still do because you get a short work week. It's not very intense practices. You play your game, you get a mini buy on the back end. But I also think over time, players worked through anger, denial, bargaining, depression. They reached acceptance. And as you cycle in more and more players, and when you think about it, the league turns over dramatically in a four- or five-year stretch. Eventually, you're getting guys who came in, eyes wide open. This is what they're signing up for. And I've yet to see a single player say, when they come out of the out of the the college levels and they head into the draft, no, thank you. I am not going to play in the NFL because I'm going to have to play a Thursday night game every year. Just like you're not going to see a single guy who's jockeying for position in the draft in 27 days say, you know what, I was going to do it. I was going to do it, but now that they're playing 17 games, sorry, I'm out. And and that's a reality. There can be guys now who huff and puff about it. They're not blowing anybody's house down because there's always a fresh crop of guys who will say, 17, sign me up. 18, sign me up. 52, sign me up. 
You know, I was not expecting a Three Little Pigs reference, but that's a pretty good, you know, nursery rhyme and a pretty good little book after we talked about another pretty good book yesterday a bunch, too. So I, I really I just Listen, think you're on thin that- ice. You were doing fine through 20 minutes. The over-under of how long Miles was doing fine on Friday was 20 minutes. Go ahead and cash in your ticket. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That, that's all I was going to say about the nice book that we talked about yesterday. But I, I just really feel like you're right. I mean, I, there's nobody that's going to say, oh, no, there's 17 games in the regular season now that's going to keep me from going after my dream nobody's actually going to do that so it's going to be a matter of how do you adapt and how do they adapt to thursday night football well like you said they know that the work week is shorter the work week is lighter and so you have to prepare your body a lot of it's starting after that sunday game that you might not that you might start maybe monday you start that recovery process immediately after your sunday game i mean i've been in locker rooms where the guys are starting to get massages immediately after that game and the media hasn't even been kicked out of the locker room yet so I think it's going to be a combination of things like that. You know, you got to make sure you stay hydrated and all these other different things, but it's just also going to be the mentality. Cause when you're talking about rookies, we always talk about the rookie wall for guys and when they might hit that and how they might hit that later on in the season. I mean, guys who are coming from these top programs like your Ohio States, Clemson's, Alabama's, LSU, they're getting used to playing longer seasons because of the college football playoff. So if you're coming from a smaller school where you're maybe only playing 11, 12 games in a year, and then you take that and go all the way to 17, five more games is very significant. So I think that's going to be an adjustment period for the younger players. But, you know, as guys get older, when they become veterans, maybe you become more jaded and you just say, all right, now this is just another week of me doing the same darn thing that I've been doing basically my whole career. It's not that big of a deal. We spent some time yesterday talking about the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs have proposed that various players who currently cannot, by rule, wear single-digit numbers be allowed to do so. Miles told us all to get off of his lawn because even though he's not yet 30, he was acting like he was three times his age because he doesn't like single-digit numbers. Sorry, Miles, but it may be coming. Running backs, receivers, tight ends, linebackers, defensive backs. And I mention that because there's a player in Philadelphia – who already wears a single-digit number, that is already changing his number. Jalen Hurts, the Eagles announced today, will be number one. Hey, Eagles fans that bought number two last year, the Eagles have one word for you. Suckers! Now you got to go buy number one. That's what I don't like about this. And if if the Eagles are going to do it right, Miles, they need to buy back all the number two Jalen Hurts jerseys or at least trade them out for a number one. I don't know. I might keep it, man. You know, it's, it might be kind of cool to you know, just have a rookie jersey, you know, like people have rookie cards for football cards. I don't know if people still have football cards. I'm, the, I'm at least old and then enough you can, to know yeah, what they football do. cards are. You can take a picture of the jersey number two and turn it into an NFT and sell it for $5 million. I think that's the, that's what you do with the number two jersey. Exactly. So that, that's all it is, right? I, I think... Okay, I have weird opinions about numbers and, and positions and whatever. I also yeah, you like, don't need to tell us. We've already figured reason, that out. I know, but for whatever reason, quarterbacks with a number one just like I hate it. I don't know why, but I just don't like it. And this has nothing to do with the caliber of player or like who the player is or how good I actually think the player is. Cam Newton, obviously iconic in the number one. 
but I just, I don't like it. And the two, also, I'm probably a little bit traumatized because I grew up in Cleveland and Tim Couch was number two, and that obviously just did not work out at all. So I don't really like the number one for QBs. I don't really like the number two for QBs. Six is okay for right now, but I just, I don't know. G- give me double digit numbers or like double zero. Uh, I would rather watch them in zero than in one. Ugh. I don't have many rules to live by, but one of them is this. It's always better to be number one than to be number two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, there's no good segue to the last topic that I want to address. And, and this is something that I think is an important teachable moment for anyone who covers the NFL as the draft approaches. And this is something I learned over time from 2001 through 2010. And I suspect from time to time, there were people with teams who were regarding me as a useful idiot and pumping me with opinions that they had about guys entering the draft. And the rule of thumb is very simple. Teams that love players Teams that have a guy that they want to see slide down the board so he's there when they pick will be inclined to spread a bunch of negative crap about the guy. It's the ultimate football Machiavelli move because you love the guy enough to say bad things about him because you want him to be on the board when you draft. Never mind the fact that he's making less money if he drops. You want him on your team. That's how you are perversely showing how much you love him. And if you don't like a guy, you spread good things about him so some sucker who picks in front of you will take him and then push down the board somebody you want. And I say all that because... There was an example this week, and we have the story at PFT, and we don't need to name names, and we don't need to get into it. Everybody knows what I'm talking about if they're paying attention to the NFL. But the big lesson that we learn, and I think we all need to be aware of this, if we're asked a question, why is so-and-so dropping? Why is there a perception that so-and-so is dropping? The frontline answer needs to be, well, somebody out there really wants him. And they're doing a damn good job of spreading negativity to create the impression that he's dropping so they have a chance to get him. So any negative opinions that you ever hear, I say this to the audience and I say this to anybody out there in the media who happens to have accidentally tuned into Peacock to watch this because we know you wouldn't choose to do so. But I say this to anyone out there, don't listen to it. And if you're in the media, don't traffic in it even with the caveat don't do it and when the example that i'm referring to when it hit the fan it was mentioned as kind of an oh by the way this may be no that it shouldn't be oh by the way it's the first thing you say oh there's bad stuff going around yeah there is because there must be somebody that really loves this guy and in lieu of trading up to number three to get him they're trying to they're trying to uh, sprinkle a bad seed on the ground in the hopes that he slides into their laps Oh man, Mike, you've you referenced the three little pigs in Machiavelli in the same segment here. So uh, that's probably not something that you're going to get on most football shows, guys. That's why you tune in the Pro Football Talk, a PM, I'm sure. But I, I think the other thing about this, Mike, is that when these comments came out that we were referring to, you start to get into these tropes, right, that are about young black quarterbacks that have been the same stereotypical tropes that have been around for a really, really, really long time. And I think it's high time we start getting past them. Because when you're talking about a guy maybe doesn't have a desire to be great or he doesn't have a great work ethic, you're just feeding into the same trope of laziness that we've been hearing about black quarterbacks since well before I was born. I think it's time that if we're going to hear something like that about a QB, about somebody who 
took a shot to the ribs in a college football playoff game and then continued to stay in the game and continue to play great, if somebody starts questioning what is their desire to be great, I think we should maybe take a step back and start thinking about why they would want to say that and why they might want to be using me as an analyst in order to say something publicly so that that thing can get out. I just, that's the one thing that really bothered me about this situation because I just think in 2021, we need to be past those kinds of things. And there's a huge difference between anonymously generated fact and anonymously generated opinion. Anonymous facts that are leaked by people who are in a position to know them and have a motivation to make them known in order to do the right thing or whatever their motivation is. Sometimes they're not trying to do the right thing. They're just trying to be jerks because they're mad at their boss. But facts that are provided anonymously, they make the journalism world go round. Anonymous opinions in this context are worthless. And there are still well-known writers with great track records who will inevitably publish the anonymous scout assessment of all the top players at every position. And they'll never say who it is, obviously, because it's anonymous, but there's never even any attempt to put it in context. This scout comes from a team that is not in the market at all for a quarterback. This is the opinion that this scout provides. Now you have to trust the writer at some point to be telling us the truth, but unless it's that, I'm not listening to any of it because this is the ultimate 4D chess match for football teams. They want the guys they want to draft to be available when they pick. And if there's a way that they can tip the scales in their favor by spreading this crap and people in the media run with it and maybe, and and here's who it's intended to ultimately affect miles because the football people I think are smart enough to not listen to us, which is why they're employed as football people. They're trying to speak to the owners with this stuff. The one thing that doesn't get discussed enough as it relates to first-round draft picks especially, the owners are involved. They don't advertise it. They don't revel in it, except for Jerry Jones. But they are involved. And before you make that potentially transformational pick, you better make sure the owner's on board. And when the owner starts saying, well, I heard so-and-so say this, that, and the other thing, you better have an answer ready, and you better be ready to pivot to someone else if you get the impression the owner's not on board, possibly because of something the owner heard while taking in some of this stuff that makes it way, its way to the media. It is lying season. There's a reason why people call it that, and it is exactly that. And I think you're right about people not necessarily realizing the influence that owners have, especially on these first-round picks. A lot of times in press conferences, you will come, they, you will hear head coaches, uh, general managers, they start out by saying, well, we thank the owner for X, Y, and Z because he was able to help us, or she in some cases was able to help us get this done, right? And, and that's because when you have a big decision, when you're making a blockbuster trade, when you're, tra- when you're taking a player number one overall, for instance, the owner is absolutely involved because there's more to it than just the player on the field. Think about the number one overall pick. Trevor Lawrence is going to be the face of the Jacksonville Jaguars for years to come. They probably hope the next 20 years that Trevor Lawrence is the face of the Jacksonville Jaguars or whatever they might become in the next 20 years, right? So I, I just feel like when you, when you know that, that's how you have to approach this. And it's exactly what you said. That's what a lot of these comments 
that's who they are targeting. And we have to be aware of that when we are trying to process them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, it, as I said earlier, it cannot be an, oh, by the way, P.S. It has to be the first thing you say when you're asked about the perception that a certain player's stock is dropping, regardless of who the player is, regardless of the position, regardless of anything about the player. When you start hearing the negativity, the first thing you should think of is there's a team out there that loves this guy enough to trash him privately so that he'll slide down the board and be there when they pick because that definitely happens. Let's take a break. When we return, is the competition committee about to screw up its opportunity to fix the issue with the gap between what the seven officials on the field see and what everyone else at home sees? We'll discuss what the competition committee has proposed by way of modified, modified, I almost got it, almost landed the plane, but failed, modified replay assistant duties when PFTPM continues right after this. I blame it on the nanobots. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This is one of those moments, if you're an NFL fan, you know exactly where you were, what you were doing, and what you processed for the hours after that. It became a huge story on the evening of the NFC Championship 2018, early 2019. Nikel Roby Coleman, who was grossly out of position, saw Tommy Lee Lewis on the other side of the formation and decided, I'm just blowing this guy up so he doesn't have a walk-in touchdown. And frankly, Roby Coleman could have picked the ball off and gone the other way if he wasn't so laser-focused on taking out Tommy Lee Lewis. And you know what? When you do an intentional pass interference, the best outcome is they didn't realize it was pass interference. And that sparked controversy that sparked a sense of urgency that the NFL had to do something about it. The competition committee, which is always afraid of everything, afraid of its own shadow, afraid of unintended consequences, afraid of this, afraid of that. They ultimately got pushed into a corner to adopt replay review for pass interference, which is a great idea in theory. It was horribly executed. And I think if anything, that makes the competition committee even more concerned now about what to do for this situation and i say all that miles because the ravens have proposed and this was weeks ago 
the addition of a booth umpire, an eighth member of the officiating crew who would be in the replay booth, who would have access to everything we see, and would operate as a member of the crew who could talk to the referee, just like when we see two or three of them getting together on the field and talking, they're trying to figure out what did they see. This is the best way to avoid a disaster. This makes sense. And as the Ravens argued in the paperwork that they submitted, it's happening at some point. We may as well do it now. So with the competition committee, and I think people tend to overstate what power and influence the competition committee has because the owners routinely ignore them. The competition committee has proposed this modified replay official enhancement where there are certain objective things that the replay official can help with. It's not going to fix the Tommy Lee Lewis, Nikel Roby Coleman situation. It's not. There's still no fix for that. And that's the problem because, Miles, my concern is this. There's eventually going to be a next officiating debacle with Booth umpire or Sky Judge or whatever we want to call it. You got a chance to avoid it with enhanced replay official duties You don't. That's why they need to ignore what the competition committee has suggested and embrace the Ravens' proposal. I loved what you wrote about this, Mike, because you basically said it's a half measure, what the competition committee is proposing. It just reminds me of Breaking Bad, no half measures. You should always go for the full measure when you have the opportunity to get the full measure. And I think that they should have gone with the full measure after that play with Nikel Roby Coleman and Tommy Lee Lewis, which I got to say, frankly, as a selfish person, was one of the most consequentially good plays in NFL history for me because I was covering the Rams that year for the Rams. I got to go to the Super Bowl and partly because of that play. So I love that play. I think that play is great. I am so glad they didn't call pass interference. I had a fantastic week at the Super Bowl, even though that game uh, was not one to write home about. So I think having said all of that, they clearly need to do something to make sure that something like that can't happen and when you are just making this half measure of yes we'll enhance you know the replay official give him more duties than he already has and that that person that official already has a lot of things to do so basically you're trying to say yes we think we can keep the status quo as it is but just tweak it a little bit when really there's a clear and obvious solution that they're just for whatever reason don't want to do yet And they're going to have to do it eventually. So why not just do it now? Rip the Band-Aid off. Get it right. You do realize that if you continue to remain gainfully employed with us, there's a pretty good chance you'll go to the Super Bowl regardless of which teams are in it. And your chances of going are are enhanced enhanced if you quit mentioning a certain book. I'm going to start keeping a list like Ryan (laughs) on The Office. If you keep mentioning that book you will be asked to stay home and mind the store while the rest of us go to the Super Bowl. So it's up to you as to whether or not you keep mentioning a certain book. That's your litmus test to get to the Super Bowl. So, uh, like, I and that applies to Shereen and everybody else. I didn't know that I was a PFT writer of the future, all right? So, you know, that's, what was that's, I supposed that's to do? <laughs> that's good. That's good. Well done. Well played. Um, look, here's the reality for the NFL. Legalized gambling or gambleizing, as Sims calls it from time to time, to the point where (laughs) I almost say it from time to time, is spreading. More than 20 states now have it. Eventually, there will be 30, 35, 40. I think the maximum is 44 because, frankly, there's only 44 states that currently have the basic lottery 
things that we've had for decades in other states. And I remember what a controversy that was in the 70s with the daily number and the scratch-off lottery tickets and, oh, my God, here we go. It's a slippery slope. Well, when gambling is in 30, 35, 40 states, when these calls happen, it's going to have a much different reaction than just team in New Orleans lost and was robbed of its shot to go to the Super Bowl. So senators and congressmen from Louisiana, huff and puff, there's the three pigs again. This is going to be people who have lost money wagering on the team that ultimately ended up on the wrong side of that bet because of the bad call. Even if the same team wins, you know, one of the worst calls of the past 15 years was when Scott Green, who's now the head of the NFL Referees Association, just flat out blew a call after the Steelers had taken a lead against the Chargers late in a 2008 game in November. I think it was a late afternoon game. Blew the call. Should have been a touchdown for the Steelers after the Steelers took the lead late. Steelers would have covered. They didn't cover. Millions of dollars wagered illegally for the most part changed hands. You make that tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars that change hands legally and something like that happens what the nfl needs to ultimately fear miles and i know i've mentioned this before because you made fun of me for it they need to fear the creation of an agency by the federal government charged with the oversight of professional sports for the purposes of ensuring the integrity of wagering no different than the sec not the football conference the federal agency that showed up five years after the stock market crash in 1929. Before that, no SEC. So an extreme example like that is the kind of thing that gets the NFL into a huge problem. So they need to do what they can now to get their affairs in order or someone else is going to do it for them and they're not going to like the rules and regulations that apply. Yes, I made fun of you because you went all the way back to the SEC instead of just saying the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is something yes. that, you know, more people remember because it happened way more recently. So you just gave me the opportunity to do that again. Um, I, I think that you're absolutely right that they have to take care of this themselves. And that's why we're really both saying you can't do the half measure. Just do the full measure. I, I You know, it's just one of these things that I think is probably a, a societal problem at large. Sometimes we just don't want to make any change because we're so satisfied with the status quo. And I'm maybe even satisfied is the wrong word, but we're just content or complacent, really, to stick with everything that we know. Let's say a uh, high school musical song, stick with the status quo. You probably don't know what that is. Oh, Mike, my you know, gosh. Oh, wow. I know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. High school it's musical? Just, it, Wow. It came to my mind. I'm sorry. I don't even know why, but I shouldn't have done that. But my point is, I think when you have a society that just loves tradition and loves to keep things the way that they are, it's hard to sometimes just say, no, we really need to change this because change is coming whether we like it or not. So we really should be proactive about it instead of reactive. But at this point, the NFL is already reactive because of that video that we just started the segment with. Because something like that should not, should never happen in a conference right. championship game. And it really has a lot to do with determining the outcome. Now, you can say if you're Rams fans, and some of them may get in my mentions later, that that didn't really determine the outcome because I've made that argument before myself. I know it. But look. When you have that situation, you really should do everything you possibly can to prevent it from ever happening again. I think the fact that their solution from two years ago failed so badly makes them hesitant to go out on a limb again. And also, there is a financial component 
It's one thing to add more duties to a current employee, which is what the competition committee proposal will do. It's another thing to have to go out and hire a whole new crew of extra officials to serve as the booth umpire or the sky judge. And even as the NFL is swimming in coins like Scrooge McDuck, they don't want to give any of those coins away if they can avoid it. Let's take a break. When we return, in honor of baseball's opening weekend, something that once upon a time I actually cared about. We're going to have a draft of the best dual sport athletes, football and baseball edition. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. Controversial new voting law passed last week in the state of Georgia has resulted in Major League Baseball removing the 2021 All-Star Game from Atlanta. A strong statement reflecting the national pushback against what is perceived to be efforts to restrict voting rights and not expand them in any way, shape, or form, despite the arguments of some. And there are more and more people of influence who are now speaking out. The Braves, by the way, issued a statement pushing back against the decision. They st- I guess they still have to sell tickets in Atlanta, and they don't want to be perceived as being part of the problem because that could be the natural blowback, a boycott of the Braves and all things baseball. But regardless, there are opportunities in life to choose the right thing or not the right thing, and sometimes money chooses people to do not the right thing, in the opinion of many, and good for Major League Baseball to take a stand. I don't know where this leads. I don't know what gets undone. I don't know that it's going to work, but economic pressure is a way to get the attention of folks, and it's also a way to potentially impact future elections where there's an opportunity to put others who are in a position to undo some of these laws that are widely regarded as being unfair and restrictive. Absolutely. Look, actions have consequences. That's something my mother taught me when I was very young, and I believe it still applies now even as I'm about to turn 30, and it applies, I think, for everybody in uh, the world, not just this country. So actions for certainly... When do you turn 30? I want to make sure I'm ready to give you the full amount of I turned 30 grief. When is that? I don't want to tell you that. See, why would you ask me that and then say what you just said? Because then that doesn't make any sense. You're just going to have to find out, Mike. You might have to do some reporting on this. I will find out. I will find out. Sources close to me tell me that it is coming up at some point this year. I will find out exactly when it is. There may be some paperwork that you filled out at NBC that uh, I can get someone in personnel to tell me. I'm not asking for anything. I just want to know the day the guy was born. I just got to know which day coming up I can... (laughs) Be prepared to give him a little payback for some of the grief he's already giving me on Fridays and other days that he's on the show. All right, let's get to the draft. The best dual sport athletes, football and baseball edition. I'll give you the first pick as an early birthday gift. Thank you very much. It's very early. I'll just give you that clue. Uh, Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson. It's got to be the first pick, right? I mean, he's the only person who has ever been an all-star in both baseball and in football pro bowler. That's what we decide to call it over here. Uh, in the NFL. So he's great, right? And the funny thing is that I think people probably my age or younger probably don't quite know how good Bo Jackson is, but I have a very good mother who did a good job of raising me. So I know just how good Bo Jackson was. And the funny thing too is, I don't remember, I know if you remember this, Mike, a few years ago, Adam LaRoche's kid at uh, spring training for the White Sox 
was basically going up to Bo Jackson asking, who are you? And like, what are you, what do you do? Like, why are you here? And then Bo Jackson had to be like, uh, kid, <laughs> let me tell you a little bit of something about me. So people, more people should know who Bo Jackson is, who I think are my age and younger, because he is one of the best two sport athletes ever. Bo Jackson was a phenomenon. The Bo Knows Bo book, the Bo Knows commercials for Nike. They're still available on YouTube. They're hilarious. His performance in, I think it was the 89 All-Star game. Was it 89? The year that uh, he had, 89, 89 All-Star game. And just some of the things he did over the course of his baseball career were uncanny. Breaking the bat over his knee, breaking the bat over his helmet. I remember a time where he caught a foul ball in the stands and a guy tried to tag up from third base and he threw him out after he pulled himself out of the stands. I mean, just amazing uh, what the guy could do. And it's a shame, you know. We, we accept the fact that football players are going to be injured. When his career ended because of that freak hip injury in a playoff game against the Bengals, I, I, I remember that was like, that hurt. You understand guys are going to get hurt and there's always going to be somebody else and you do get desensitized to it. That one hurt because of what might have been from Bo Jackson. Deion Sanders, for me, even though he wasn't a great baseball player, he was able to play at the major league level, played in a World Series game. I was at the game, Miles. October 10, 1992, when he came from Atlanta to Pittsburgh and played in the Sunday night game for the Braves against the Pirates in the NLCS that year. I had just turned one. There's another clue for you. Uh, Deion Sanders, obviously, uh, obviously, I think when we're talking about guys who have been good in both sports or even just played both sports, he's one of the best to probably ever do it because even if he's just, you know, an average Major League Baseball player, he didn't lead the league in triples one year with 14, which is ridiculous because he did it, I think, in 97 games. That's not something that you should be able to do, and I think it just shows off his speed and athleticism. So he was awesome. Uh, next guy would have to go with Brian Jordan because even though he well wasn't done. playing in both leagues at the same time, he was still able to do it. He goes from being a safety um, in the NFL, played for the Falcons, and then he goes to Major League Baseball and has a long career, goes from 1992 to 2006, I believe. So, look, at somebody, we were talking about a hell of an athlete. He's a hell of an athlete. You can't just, I think, uh, downplay anybody that can be a professional and start games and be as good as he was in both leagues like that. All-star in 1999. Yeah, awesome choice. That's a name that's not remembered much because it was in that Deion Sanders era, and it's like all of a sudden Brian Jordan says, see you later, football, I'm going to play for the Cardinals, and he had a nice baseball career. I'll go Kyler Murray, even though he hasn't played Major League Baseball yet. The fact that he was a top 10 pick in the MLB draft, which has like 283 rounds, the fact that he was regarded and still is so highly by baseball. Remember, it wasn't that long ago, he's at the Phoenix Suns game with the Oakland A's hat on, and 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 yeah, I like the fact that he is the rare NFL player who has the ability to say, if I don't play football, I can still go play another professional sport and make as much money. And that's going to be some interesting leverage when the time comes for him to negotiate his second contract. And I also can't help but wonder how much losing he will tolerate before he says, maybe I'll go try something else. And he's got the skill to do it. And you can't help but wonder whether with that level of skill, he doesn't want to go do it at some point. Is it pulling him away from football? A couple of others real quickly before we take a break. 
John Elway, obviously, was a great baseball player. Jeff Samarja would have been a first-round pick at receiver coming out of Notre Dame. He had a very good career, made more money than Calvin Johnson, frankly, and would have been drafted in about the same era a couple years after that. And also, i got to mention this guy because he was taken in the 17th and final round of the 1973 draft by the Minnesota Vikings, the same draft that brought them Chuck Foreman in round one. I had that awesome Chuck Foreman hoodie on yesterday. Round 17. Do you know who it was? The baseball player who was taken by the Vikings that year, Miles. Do you know? Do you know? I have no idea. Uh, you stumped me. Dave Winfield. Dave Winfield. He was oh. drafted football, baseball, basketball, and he never played football. And the Vikings drafted him in round 17 back in, in 1973. Maybe, maybe back then... Like, by the time they got to that round, they didn't know who the hell to draft. Let's just throw a dart, and let's open the phone book. This guy, let's draft this guy, because they've done no scouting that deep into the player pool. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFTPM right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And look, Washington right now. Try, oh, now, now, will you please stop? You know, when I heard him, can, can we please get rid of that? That was a lifetime ago. Just shut up. Just let it go. It's not funny anymore. I thought anyway. it was pretty funny. Because he can get his quarterback of the future, I think it's got to be Kyle Shanahan. He could be somebody else's quarterback of the future. The San Francisco 49ers quarterback of the future is probably going to come from this number three overall. Who is their quarterback of the present, let alone the future, right? I, I feel like if we have somebody in Cam Newton built to be QBs of the future from a very young age. <laughs> Sorry, I did it again. What? I know. What? The following week. I don't know what you're we, talking about. It's a pretty good book, I've heard. Thank you very much for that. Well done, control room. Really, I mean it. I'm not being sarcastic at all. Let's answer some questions before we get off air today. Dr. J144, how would you rate Saquon Barkley's career to date? The Giants reportedly aren't in a rush to extend him. He's also not in a rush to be extended. I asked him about that Super Bowl week and seemed like a little bit of a sore subject. He's coming off of the torn ACL. He got three years in. He was the second overall pick in 2018. That, that, Injury history that he had and still has, that's got to raise questions. He's going to have to prove himself to get a contract, and we see what happens with running backs. You typically don't get a ton of money. Miles, in my mind, he's been 
I mean, if you're going to take guys second overall, he's got to show up and play, and he's got to stay healthy. And I know ACL tears happen. That's all the more reason not to use the second overall pick on a running back, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I thought that they probably should have picked their quarterback of the future at number two overall back in 2018, but they went with Saquon Barkley instead, and he's been decent. Can we stop? Oh, well, he's been pretty good. Why would we stop talking about Saquon Barkley? He had over 2,000 yards since first year you know it's just unfortunate that he got hurt last year mike but i think saquon barkley's pretty good the giants could have had josh allen in 2018 and thank god they didn't because chris sims who is both a giants fan and the president of the josh allen fan club would be even more difficult to tolerate if allen were the quarterback of the giants past present or future have a great weekend including you miles see you monday The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.